Hey, this is Carlos GGS. Welcome back to Guitar God Secrets, where today we're going to be covering something that I like to call and fondly refer to as octave tapping. Octave tapping, yeah. Now, what makes octave tapping so cool is that it takes a lot of the thinking and mental processing out of tapping. When you tap with your right hand on the fretboard, you're basically uh, illustrating a note higher up in the scale. But if you can do it in a way that you don't have to think too much about where you're tapping, it allows your left hand a certain amount of freedom. Now, eventually, you want to get to the point where you're able to think independently with both your right and left hand, right? You want to be able to do the, the cool tapping stuff that doesn't depend on the right hand always tapping in the same place. I mean, if you think about it, Eddie Van Halen's technique of tapping when he kind of brought it to the forefront, which, as we all know, he wasn't the first, but he was the first to make it a, a big deal and a big part of his playing. When he brought it out and used it, it was typically done on one string, and then he started expanding it. He would do it on more than one string, and then he'd do things like harmonics and various little, uh, you know, d different little ways of using it. Now, since then, of course, some guitarists have just gone way off the hook with this technique. They use it to, well, I know there's uh, the guy that was in Night Ranger used to do what was known as eight-finger tapping. That's right, he would tap out a sequence that used all four of his right and all four of his left fingers. Now, I'm sure there's some other crazy, insane lunatic out there that's using his thumb and making it five on each hand, but let's, let's just bring it back a notch and remember that the purpose behind tapping and the purpose behind any playing of guitar is not to impress. It's to create music, create things that are pleasing to the ear and that we want to hear, right? If you ever listen to a song and you think to yourself, gee, you know what, uh, that was interesting, but I'm not sure if I ever really want to listen to that again, well, it probably failed the musicality test. It doesn't make itself uh, attach itself to your brain in a way that makes you want to repeat it. Now, of course, there's the opposite of this. These sickening pop hooks that don't really have any substance to them or any technical ability. All they have is the quote-unquote hook. But even in that, it's still much more of a success in some ways than some of the, uh, the songs that just don't leave you wanting to listen to them again. Now, I'm not criticizing music in particular or saying one is better than the other. Let's not get into that debate because it's just a, a futile, just totally futile debate. The point is that we have to think in terms of what delivers to the listener. That's the whole point of music and the whole point of guitar itself, really. So your favorite guitarists in some way, whoever they may be, have done that. And that's what you should be looking for is that, that secret. What makes that guitarist more listenable to than another? I used to start out listening, of course, to Ingve when he came out and uh, because he was the virtuoso of that time. This is back when, you know, guitar virtuosos were the new cool standard, right? You had Eddie in the late 70s, then you had Randy Rhodes showing up, and then, of course, his light was cut short, and then we had, you know, all these other virtuosos appearing, but then Ingve hit the scene, and it was like, holy cripes, look what he can do. The thing about it is that at a certain point, it becomes redundant. Uh, you can only play the uh, diminished arpeggios so many times you can only play a harmonic minor scale so many times before it just becomes oh yeah it's that and it has to become variation one of the things i'd like to recommend you to do and this is a listening exercise go listen to Ingve melmstein's second album uh the album is of course marching out and listen to the song marching out which is the i believe the last song on the whole disc it's a great example of how when Ingve was still 
really playing with feeling and just uh, even in his own way using. You know, I never really. I, I, stu- I do believe that Ingve plays with feeling most of the time, and it's it's just a different kind of feeling when he's playing a thousand miles an hour. But the, that song in particular had a beautiful melodic way about it. It knew how to go from slow to fast and fast to slow. It's just really worth paying attention to. So let's get back to the exercise for today. We're going to do is something called, uh, well, I'd like to call it melodic tapping, but it's it's called octave tapping. And octave tapping just means that I'm tapping with my right hand at the octave of the key to keep things simple for the sake of not only just memorizing and visualizing the scale I'm in, but also to keep you know, make sure that I don't fall out of the uh, the the mode or the scale that I happen to be playing in and sound like I'm off key. So what we're going to do is we're going to use pentatonic for simplicity's sake. The left hand is only going to be playing two notes and the right hand is only going to be playing one note. The old school Van Halen way of doing the tapping. But this one's going to have a different element. We're going to pull off all the way to the open string, which means this is in E minor. As you may know, E minor is the uh, it's the way the guitar feels when you pick it up because that key, or you can call it G major as well, that key is uh, basically the root of that key. The E minor part of it is all the way across the nut. That's the open strings. Every string that is open is part of that scale. And every string at the 12th fret, same thing. So what we're going to do is, you could do this as a warm-up exercise, is you can tap at the 12th fret with your right hand and then pull off to the open string and go across all the strings. And you can practice your muting with the left hand and the right hand if you want to use your uh, palm of your hand on the right hand to see if you can control the ring of the strings. It's a good idea. Now what we're going to do is we're going to throw in with the left hand the fifth fret. We're going to be using the third pentatonic position, which is basically this, 5-7 on the low E, 5-7 on the A, 5-7 on the D, 4-7 on the G, 5-8 on the B, and 5-7 on the high E. Okay, now from there, what we're going to do is we're going to be tapping with the right hand. And as we pull off to the open string, hammer on to the 5th and 7th frets on the high E. And that alone has kind of a nice melody to it. And you can vary it later on. I want you to vary that up. You're going to do things like double tapping with the right. But what we're going to do is we're going to go down the string. Or, well, I don't mean down the string. It's actually be down the scale. But in terms of pitch, down the pitch. But we're going to be going up the fretboard towards the low E. So we're going to go hammer on, pull off, 12th fret, high E. And then hammer on 5-7. Then hammer on 12 on the B. And pull off the open B. And hammer on 5-8 on that string. On the G, hammer on 12. Pull off to open. And then 4-7 on the G. And on the D, hammer on pull off 12 to open. And then 5-7. And same thing on the A. And same thing on the E. Threw in a little bit of a grace note of a, um, a note that was outside the pentatonic there, but you get the idea. The 
using the pentatonic makes it easy because you can visualize that position fairly easy with your um, left hand because there's only two notes per string and it makes a very simple pattern to see. And on the right hand, you're just going straight across the 12th fret. Now, after you've got the hang of that, what you want to do is you want to move to different positions, right? So I'm going to tap and pull off 12th fret on the high E. And then I'm going to hammer on 3-5 on the high E. So we've moved back towards the nut one position. So this is the second pentatonic position. 12, open, 3-5 on the B. 12, open, 2-4 on the G. 12, open, 2-5 on the D. 12, open, 2-5 on the A. 12, open, 3-5 on the low E. Now you can see the versatility in this. You can do things like sliding between the positions. So I could go between these two illustrations that I've given you and just move between the two pentatonic positions. Okay, little variations in there. You can come up with some really crazy stuff. But the point is to get really good at just the feel of doing the tap, pull off, hammer on to the pentatonic position. The hammer on and pull off, uh, 12 and open. And you can do that and practice it separately. And of course, then the hammering on. And that right there gives you the... Uh, the feeling of running between those those particular positions. Now, the cool thing about this exercise is not that it just sounds so cool. It's musical. You can use it anywhere. It's not just an exercise. Is that it really does improve your visualization skills on the fretboard. You're going to be seeing pentatonic positions kind of lock together. You're going to see the overlap where the notes overlap from one position to the next, and you're going to be able to move between them much more gracefully and much more uh, much more shreddily if you get going and get working this thing. And there's all sorts of things you can do. It's just really cool things. I do recommend you also memorize the uh, the root note in each one of those positions so you know what note you're aiming for if you're going to finish in a particular pentatonic position. You want to know where that root note is. It's the very basic part of soloing, is knowing exactly where to finish your solo or at least finish a phrase on the root note. And then you start to learn other things like, okay, now how would I finish on the third, the minor third or major third, or on the fifth? of that particular scale. If you don't know what these particular terms are, don't worry about it. It's something I'll cover again a little bit later, but knowing your target notes in each position is really important as well. The cool thing about pentatonics are that none of those notes will sound wrong in just about uh, any key you're playing in, as long as you're playing the correct pentatonic scale with it, of course. When you get into diatonic, things get a little bit different, but that's another exercise I'll show you again later, is how to use this with diatonic, which adds two more notes to the pentatonic scale and makes things a little bit more, um, I guess you'd say you could do some more cool melodies because you have more note choices, but you also have to be more thoughtful about how you use them. And in other guitar news, because I want to make sure I get you some of the cool stuff that's going on out there, one of the things you want to uh, take a look at, if you can, regularly, is... Of course, guitarists who are making albums and good guitarists that are making albums that are not just about uh, awing you with their incredible guitar virtuoso shred skills, because there are plenty of those, and those are and can be interesting to a certain degree. Uh, if you want to use Ingve as an example, of course. Now, today's virtuosos are still actually some of the previous virtuosos, which is kind of cool in a lot of ways. We went through the phase of being technically 
blown away by all the things these cool guitarists could do with their instruments. And now we've gotten back to, I think, a certain level of, okay, the best are still standing. And the reason they are is because they make good music. One of those is, of course, the great Joe Satriani. And for some guys, they're like, ah, you know what, Satriani, I could take him or leave him. And, you know, I used to feel the same way. Uh, I got his, I think the first thing I got of his was Surfing with the Alien. And uh, I don't, I didn't get to Not of This Earth until later on. I think that was his first album I got later. But uh, Surfing the Alien, very cool album. Just, you know, great example of of his playing and his playing style, which is, you know, very unique. It's not just playing at blazing speeds. It's very melodic based and very, uh, it gives your, your ear something to listen to. Anyway, his new album is coming out called Shockwave Supernova. And I heard uh, one of the tracks off of that I actually was jamming along with it uh when I when I heard it, because it has the great potential for you to just pick up your guitar and actually solo over it and play it and use it as a jam track. That's what I was noticing about that particular tune, and I'm sure others will have that same uh, that same ability. And that's something I want to encourage you to do too. It's a great way to improve your chops and your skills is to you know play a song that you know or a song. It could be an old song, could be a new song, could be anything like that. Instrumentals work really well for this because they have more capacity for you to slip in and just you know play a little bit of guitar nonsense because there's no vocals to get in the way of now of course that's the way most jam tracks are created is just to give you something to jam over it's just a rhythm track with a bass and drums typically but you want to get jam tracks to use to play over because it's a great exercise in itself it's just even if you're just playing very simple pentatonic phrases over a, a, a very simple four four in the key of e or key of b minor whatever it is just playing over that and getting used to choosing notes on the fly is one of the best things you can do for your playing. You're going to be thinking on the fly. You're going to be improvising. One of the the hallmarks of a good musician, It really that's where I think everything kind of comes together. I was talking with somebody about this, how a friend of his was a classically trained uh, violinist. And when you're classically trained, you're pretty much trained not to improvise. You play exactly the way the piece was composed. And uh, he was incapable of just picking up the instrument and just playing randomly, just, just making up melodies on the fly and, and doing what lead guitarists do so well. And I think that's why the guitar as an instrument is so attractive to so many guys. It lets you just kind of go off and go wild, doing cool things. Uh, and you've got to be able to do that. You can't just be classically trained. You can't just be stuck in a rut of only knowing how to, you know, what the scale is. You've got to be able to navigate that scale in creative ways. Create melodies on the fly. Even if they, you know, you realize, oh, hey, wait a minute, that was a little bit of uh, David Gilmore there, or that was a little bit of uh, Jeff Beck, whatever it might be. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there and just try notes out on the fly. Improvisation is an absolute blast once you get going and know what you're doing now back to the news and cool stuff uh david gilmore also has a new song out which sounds very un-david gilmore but i guess in a way it does sound david gilmore because it's him doing it he's always had a different style when he does his solo projects than he did uh when he was with pink floyd and the stuff he did with them but it's uh it's an interesting tune i'll say that much he built it around one hook that he just he's as he said it was a three-note hook that kind of stuck in his head and he built the song around it so you should check that out even Keith Richards is still putting out music. It's really amazing, man. So another thing to discuss here really quickly before we finish up for today is reverb and delay. Reverb and delay in your guitar playing. How are you using it? A lot of guys use it uh, as an effect all on its own. Uh, delay, by the way, is a type of effect. It's not just the echoing of your sound. It is actually um, a processing 
I don't know what the word or the terminology is, but it's actually a type of a guitar effect, a delay effect. And the delays that a lot of people use or tend to be in the, you know, they use them for echoes, they use them for slapback and things like that. You should be experimenting with that. And uh, one of the cool things today is with a lot of the new guitar rigs and a lot of the electronic uh, processing rigs that there are, you can do some cool things like you can make your pedal link to a particular control so you can change the depth, the length, or the uh, number of times that your echoes slap pack, if you will. So you can do some really cool stuff with it. But I encourage you to take a really uh, focused look at how you're using your delay and your reverb in your rig right now. Are you using delay strictly as a slapback? That's that's kind of how I use it. I use it for a single echo about 480 to 500 milliseconds uh, from the original. So it gives me that one really clear um, echo, if you will, of my note. And if I went longer than that, to me, it feels too overdone. It's just the way I, I prefer to do it. And then, of course, I throw on a little bit of reverb at the same time. Now, this is the trick, is do you want your delay going through your reverb? Do you want your reverb going through your delay? Now, for most guitarists, once they realize that you, you get a really weird effect when you combine the two or channel one through the other, the answer is you typically want to do those in parallel because that gives you the most realistic actual sound. Your reverb typically doesn't want to be, uh, you don't want the actual sound of your reverb slapping back through your delay and vice versa. You don't want your delay having its own reverb. Not necessarily anyway. So look at how you're sequencing too because it's important to realize that you don't want certain things to be processed. You want them to go through what they call dry. You don't want any effect on certain signals. So you may want a separate signal that has your delay, a separate signal that has your reverb, uh, another signal uh, chain for your distorted sound because you may not want to distort your guitar before it goes into a chorus or a flanger. Or you might want that effect. It's more intense that way. This is one of those age-old debates. Do you put your chorus and flanger at the front of your chain or do you put it after and it's all depending on what kind of sound you're trying to get to anyway i wanted to inspire you to take a look at that and look at how you're using your delay and your reverb and think about doing it slightly different see if you can you can channel it and create a chain that uh, separates the two and see what the difference is in the sound and if it sounds more realistic or better to your ear that's ultimately the test does it sound good to your ear hey this is carlos ggs it's been good talking to you i'm gonna let you go for this week and be back again next week with more cool stuff and hopefully some more cool licks i've got so i got an idea right now something actually pretty cool talking about ingve and how he plays and there's actually something to a tune that i was relearning it's called evil eye from his rising force album it's a it's a very unique song if you've never heard it before go ahead check it out and uh maybe i'll come up with something for that for next week Anyway, until then, go over to guitargodsecrets.com forward slash free video. That's guitargodsecrets.com forward slash free video. And go get yourself that free number one practice hack video. If you haven't done it by now, dude, I don't know what you're waiting for. Go on over and do it. It's a freebie. Go grab it. Get on my mailing list and get on some cool stuff that I'm going to send to you. We'll be talking again soon. This is Carlos, GGS from Guitar God Secrets. Live to play and play to live. GuitarGodSecrets.com, Guitar God Secrets podcast, and YouTube content, and all content herein is copyright Morpheus Productions, LLC. Feel free to contact Carlos at Carlos at GuitarGodSecrets.com. We welcome your comments, suggestions, and questions, and your donations. 
Live to play, play to live.